it won't let me record. Hi, everyone. My name's Chris. I can't record. Hi. Uh, welcome to another live streaming of Montreal. So us on a Thursday evening. Wow. Should have Paul do this. He's the one on the sugar high. Sorry. I am one half of this podcast known as Chris. Uh, something you may not know about me prior to moving to Edmonton, I recycled many boxes of BMX trophies from my youth. Uh, wow. Nugget of information. And as you have heard, the other 50% of the show should probably introduce his bad self. Hi, I'm Paul <laughs> with my bad self. <laughs> How's it going? I've had way too much Mountain Dew over the last, I don't know, couple of weeks, really. I was on vacation and, and then we had the long weekend on Labor Day and uh, there's there's just been way too much sugar in my last, I don't know, month probably. Wow, I'm totally jealous. Sorry about that. No, it's okay that you can be normal. That's right. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, many of our listeners uh, know how this goes. Uh, that is, uh, those people out there like my mom and possibly Grant and Christian if he's bored. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Sorry if I didn't mention your name specifically. My romper room magic mirrors in the shop. Um, oh, there are people in the chat room. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so what Paul and I do on this show is we talk to makers, folks who are creating art, developing apps, services, and people who are pioneering through the new pathways in our internet-connected world. Tonight's guest is a producer, arranger, composer, performer, Olympic sports fan, and lover of mint. <laughs> Please welcome Mr. Jonathan Kalern. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't have the round of applause queued up for you. <laughs> well, I know all my adoring fans are out there, so hi to them. Sweet. Yay. Oh, there you I'm go. It's kind of a you. golf clap, actually. <laughs> <laughs> have either of you, I'm sure you have, Paul, but I'm curious if Jonathan in his uh, capacity doing lots of uh, musical things has ever done any uh, work with or played around with like sound effects collections? Um, not really. Although I know there are some ones of like the famous podcasters. I'll have soundboards of them saying stuff. So those are fun. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I just when he said it was kind of a golf clap, I imagined like, I mean when. I was in film school, like there were sound effects CDs that you could check out. And it was like the whole entire CD would be like 78 tracks of different cars, like starting up. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, people that went to film school at my college. Apparently people would graduate from the school and then they would build these incredible collections. They were Foley engineers and they would send them back to the school for the students to use. So I remember those coming in. That's pretty awesome. I would yeah. actually love it if the stuff that we got was – I mean, I'm sure the stuff that we got was uh, was professionally recorded, but it seemed like it was always so general purpose that it was hard to find the one that you were really looking for. Um, I, I, did that predate tagging? 
It did. I mean, they were basically they were they were literally on CDs, and you just had to comb through like an index of like here's the CD of car car sounds, and then you go through a million car sounds looking for the right startup engine noise or door slam. I'm sure that was the dark ages of Foley engineering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think our I think our uh, I think our prep room was uh, a Sony Discman that you just had this like cheap chintzy headphones on and then you would just sit there like skipping through them until you found the one you like and then you're like okay i'm gonna check this one out and take it to the other building on the other side of the campus so that i can put it into my project there was one person still using a disc man when i was in college which was the early 2000s and uh, i think that was the last one i ever saw nice yeah i remember um uh, I remember that music collection. I didn't use it a lot, but because uh, Paul and I went to the same university. But uh, um, I remember there was a student who graduated uh, probably the year I started in in the film program. He was leaving, <laughs> Patty Habor. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I remember Patty. And he was. I used to work in the equipment room in the the room where you could get all these cool things, and so he was always in there, and so. His like senior advice to me was like, he's like, if you ever need music, this is the CD for you. And, um, <laughs> and he this was, is the golden one. I keep it in the desk. <laughs> yeah. And it was like one of those sort of like, he was like that very cool guy, the very like snap the fingers and, you know, like, <laughs> and so you, you weren't sure if you should take him serious or not, but, uh, I'll be damned if he wasn't right. Like every time I grabbed that CD, I was like, oh, it works for everything. Drama <laughs> and comedy. And it was called Melancholy Violin. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> it worked for anything. You could put it behind something and slow it down to slow-mo or, you know. Oh, That's it was amazing. Great. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That we've, we've, we've changed your career already. You're like, you this <laughs> composition stuff I'm going to make. Melancholy violin CDs. <laughs> well, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not so specialized yet. One of the my goals was to just try to do a lot of different things because I I would say that I knew I didn't want to be a music teacher. Well, now I'm trying to be a music teacher again. So maybe that wasn't true. But I wanted to try doing film stuff. I wanted to try doing music stuff and all the aspects of it because you could get super specialized in any one part of the production process and I want to do it all and maybe some aspect of it will uh, resonate with me. <laughs> I'm just reading your comments in the chat room. Yeah, nice. it's the, so it's kind of the um, throw everything at the wall kind of in this, in this general space and see what really uh, sticks with you. Well, that, and also I, I wanted to do everything because I can, I guess. Sure. And I, I mean, I would actually, I would love to do more. I just, I put limits in there. Like I'm not going to build my own instruments. I'm not going to build my own <laughs> microphones. Um, yeah. But everything else, like I want to write the music. I want to record it. I want to play it. I want to uh, design a video for it and um, shoot it. And I actually don't want to be in the video, but that's the only thing that I don't want to do. <laughs> Those are always like the best videos, I have to say, is, uh, I mean, they're not always, if you look I've at I've seen like, some terrible ones, so I'm not going to agree with you on that. Yeah, I was just going to correct myself. I, I think it's, 
I think it's the best when like an artist says, I'm not going to be in my own videos, but it's like consistent if it's like the gorillas and it's always the same cartoon figures or it's always like some character that's not actually the musician. But anyway, I find those intriguing when an artist says, look, I don't want to be in any of my videos, but I want this to represent me in every video. (laughs) (laughs) This watermelon with sunglasses on. (laughs) there you go so yeah um so as uh you were just saying you're you're just uh trying lots of stuff and you want to be part of lots of stuff is there um just as i'm thinking of our listeners they might want to know is there anything that they may have uh, heard or or any of your work that has been in something they might know um, claims to fame. Um, the advice with Dawn music. I think that's some of my first music that got on a podcast. <laughs> that's from the <laughs> Dawn and Drew show for those of you that have heard that. Cool. That is cool. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Um, a couple old MySpace tracks. No, that's about it. <laughs> that's my only claim to fame. I have a, uh, I have an item here that I can play. If you're okay with it, it's from your SoundCloud. Well, my SoundCloud stuff is is very new, and it's also for a really particular audience. But if you you want to play, it. it seems like it seems like it is because I I uh, I don't uh, the understand the reference. No sense. Yeah, yeah. The, the lyrics don't make any sense. But I think this gives <laughs> us a sense of like maybe a little bit of the style, or at least a a style, a style. that's in your uh, your overall uh, oeuvre. Sure, go for it. All right. Oeuvre. Neither fountains pouring Gatorade, Oreos, nor bottles for your bus, box pasta shells, nor drunk or casserole. Sorcery that powers YouTube stars Landing black attire fans embrace Carved powder blue Inscription circling Subscribe. Yay. Yay. Woo. <laughs> check, 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 check. Uh-oh. What's decided to play now? Oh, my God. I can't stop it. Actually, that's, uh, that's, <laughs> I really like that one, too. It's not, that's not by me. That's someone else. Be, I still like it. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's the well, danger of SoundCloud. Yeah, that's the great thing with SoundCloud, right? They just decide to play the very next track. That that happened to me earlier when I was uh, listening to Jonathan's music as well. I was like, wait, I see there's... Style change. Yeah. (laughs) No, that was was cool. So uh, that was my first... Well, that's not the first track I ever recorded. It's the second track I recorded, but it's the first track that I published. And uh, the lyrics are about a um, a young guy, David Haven, who uses this alias JD Funcore, and he's a drum and bugle core enthusiast. Mm-hmm. And he um, makes all these funny videos on YouTube. You can check him out. I'm, I don't know how YouTube does URLs. YouTube.com slash JD Funcore probably. That um, they are about drum and bugle cores and being in drum and bugle core. And he does this uh, these videos called uh, um, The Entire Season in Two Minutes. And he just crams a sort of like joke about every show into a quick little video. Um, and I wanted to sort of borrow his fan base. And I, I want to thank him for having <laughs> such a wonderful fan base um, by writing a song that would sort of celebrate his, uh, his, um, some of the stuff he's done in videos. And um, I wanted to see how that would work. And it's, it's, I've been pretty happy with the, uh, the turnout, um, like over 300 plays in the first week. So that, that made me really happy because I've seen, much much worse <laughs> than an initial release by by excellent performers. So I'm thrilled with uh, how things panned out. Yeah, it's a it's a fun one. I like the uh, I like the beat that's going on with it, and I like the uh, I like the initial style. Um, what did you? What was your process for making it? I like to compose. Well, my first thing is that I have some sort of intuition. Um, like just the kind of the chorus material, but then I like to compose at the keyboard, which, uh, sometimes still kind of feels like cheating a little bit, but, um, <laughs> I use propeller head reason and they have these thing called blocks. I don't know if you've ever used the program, hmm. but you can have these blocks and you, so you make a block and you call it like a verse block. You can make another verse block. You can make a chorus block and then you go into the timeline and you can just take the pencil tool and paint your blocks in and arrange them hmm. and then you can just play it back and just uh put a song together really really fast okay and okay. Uh, then i went through and um tweaked the it's all basically midi it's, it's samples yep. but midi yep. and then gone back and recorded over the midi parts with acoustic instruments oh wow yeah yeah i think i understand what you're saying about uh propeller like uh ableton works similarly yes so yeah yeah, I'm all about the the whole idea of rapid prototyping. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is, <laughs> I've I have tons of little um, like tune snippets mocked up with samples, um, but the so that I can do really fast. But then going to the acoustic version took a lot longer than I really wanted it to. <laughs> yeah, was it just uh, sort of like bridging the gap between the digital world and your acoustic instruments, or? Well, a lot of the biggest barrier is just my ability to play the other instruments and which is not that great. (laughs) So, um, I mean, I'm a trumpet player mainly, so doing all the other stuff was kind of a stretch and uh, the the hardest part was just like the technical hurdles of performing on other instruments, which if I had a band, you know, I could just bring them in and play it. But once you do that, 
uh, first of all, I'd want to pay those people and I, I would feel like I owed them a favor. And yeah, I'm sure there were people that would, that would do it because Buffalo has a great music community. But um, I, don't, I just don't want to ask that of people. I want to, like I said, I want to try doing everything myself. Maybe I'll like another instrument better. Um, maybe if I can do it all myself and I can make it work, then I need very little money to uh, make a music career for myself. Cool. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it certainly couldn't hurt to like, uh, probably network with some people, but then at the same time, like, uh, I just know from talking to you in the past, I think that, uh, we, we're, we're kind of close because we both love learning new things too. And it's sort of like an opportunity missed if you ask someone to come in and play, right? Yeah, definitely. So you, so what did you, um, end up playing on that track then like uh obviously your trumpet and guitar um yeah trumpet uh, guitar i am not a guitar player so that (laughs) guitar track you heard is like 40 takes spliced together it's i'm really i really struggle with it but i love the sound of it um and then the only the only non-digital or the only non-acoustic thing on there is the uh, guitar amp which is a line six digital model that I like the sound of, and I didn't own a guitar amp at the time I recorded that. So, uh, okay, um, everything else is uh, like a physical instrument that I had to play. Um, bass I warmed up to really quickly, and I really like it, and I want to play a lot more bass. Yeah. I played acoustic bass in college, and that instrument is large and unwieldy, but <laughs> the electric bass is perfect. It's like a guitar. Like guitar, the strings are too close together. The frets are too close together. Everything's just crammed in together. A bass is like the neck's longer. The frets are farther apart. The strings are farther apart. Yep. The instrument just feels good. It's it's just awesome. I just I love bass. So I I think the bass part was only like two takes spliced together because I I enjoyed practicing it more. I guess. And I also had a uh, found a really great bass teacher who uh, was r- super super helpful. That's awesome. Um, so did you buy? A, well, go ahead. I was just gonna say. So did you buy a bass then for the? Song? Um, I did, and the other thing is that my guitar is this um, cheap Korean Strat that I had a dream about, so I bought it. <laughs> but it's really not a great <laughs> instrument. And the at the time I had bought the guitar, um, I realized that if I wanted to sell the guitar, I mean, I spent like five hundred bucks on it, and I realized that if I sold it, I was probably not going to get two hundred bucks for it. Because mm. it's not a really great. I mean, it's it's a perfectly fine instrument but it's not a great instrument. And so when it came to the bass and I was already kind of like warming up to the idea of playing bass, I decided I needed a professional instrument that I was going to buy used because if you buy a used instrument, instruments are kind of like cars where um, most of them depreciate, but some become classics. Mm -hmm. So if you buy a good one, at least there's a chance that it could kind of hold its value. Yeah. Yep. So I found a bassist in Rochester, New York, which is about an hour away from Buffalo. And he had bought a, he had to send his beloved bass from the 70s into the shop. So he bought a new bass to play while it was in the shop. But it, it turned out it was only in the shop for like two days and then he got it back. So this, this brand new bass has been sitting in a case in his living room for years. And he finally decided like, why am I keeping this thing? So I slept <laughs> out there and bought that from him. And I've been enjoying that ever since. It's a Fender jazz bass. It's it's got like the pearl and lead fretboard and everything. It's just beautiful. So that's awesome. Love that thing. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, 
so I had a little stint where I took some time off of college and uh, before going back and uh, doing the film and video thing and meeting Chris. And one of the things that I did while I was doing that, I was pretty much working full time, uh, but just to like foster hobby, hobbies and creativity, I bought a uh, I bought a guitar because I had wanted to learn to play that. Uh, I also am trumpet player, probably the instrument that um, when I was when I was really playing it a lot that was probably the best instrument I've ever learned to play um, but since then I've really pretty much played guitar and uh, I had kind of a similar experience where I bought well I didn't I didn't have a dream about the guitar I basically was like <laughs> I want to learn to I want to learn to play the guitar so I went to essentially a department store and bought like the hundred dollar guitar kit where it's like here's this you know Yamaha beginner's guitar and a, a little mini amp Um and if you turn the distortion way up, it's going to sound fine. So right. um, so I learned to play on that. And then maybe six months later, uh, I was out on a pizza delivery because that was my full-time job uh, in between awesome. college things. And uh, there was this guy who had uh, like 10 guitars all out in his yard. And he must have been mm, – he looked – he looked like maybe a young 120. So um, he was like super old folk guitar player guy. And he had nice. a million acoustic guitars. And uh, I looked at them and most of them looked as old as he did. But he had one that looked just like amazing, pristine. And I asked him what he wanted for it. And he was like, that is my show guitar. That's the one that I play when I play out. Like anytime I get together with my guys and go play somewhere, that's the one that I play. You can have it for $135. I was like, uh, I'm going to run to the ATM. <laughs> that nice. thing is going to be mine. And it's a, fa- it's a fantastic guitar. Awesome. Yeah. That's my, <laughs> that's my story about guitars. Well, that's great. I mean, I think it's, it's amazing how, uh, what I've learned so far doing this um, project is that people absolutely love music. And I know that sounds like a hilarious thing to to realize, <laughs> but I was always into music, super into music. I remember being in fifth grade band and, and I wanted to play really sophisticated music and the teacher would hand out like a Disney song and I would be like <laughs> booing because I want to play some like serious music. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I've always been super into it and I've always felt like other people aren't as into it as I am. But since I've gotten into the pop music thing, I've realized that everyone wants to be a musician or at least apparently everyone I've ever met yeah. like has taken an instrument or multiple instruments pretty seriously and they love music and they engage with it in an amazing way. So that's a, that, that was a surprise to me. Cause I just thought, I know so many people who I, I just kind of assume that they, they like kind of the way I watch movies. Like I like serious movies. I'll watch like a couple a month maybe, but it's just not like a super huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I kind of felt like everyone was that way with music, but more and more, I think a lot of people are really serious about music. Maybe they're maybe you don't even realize it. Uh, well, yeah, I, what fascinates me for, uh, about music is that, um, it's, I mean, you hear, uh, some progressive sort of, uh, health or medical, um, facilities now have like musical therapy, um, and things like that. But, uh, it never really, 
really entered my brain until I started like learning because I've never been in like a band or did any musical stuff aside from like fifth grade choir. <laughs> so, so when, uh, uh, my wife, um, got me an ukulele for Christmas, like, and I started doing lessons, like, it's just, it's, uh, to me, it's, I mean, I've always loved listening to music, but even like playing it, it is almost like a stress reliever, you know? Um, yeah, so I find it very therapeutic. Yeah, music therapy is amazing. There's um, there's a guy that does um, the music therapy here at Roswell, and he's the Roswell Park Cancer Institute in Buffalo, and he's incredible. And he's done like TED talks and things about his work there. And also my the college I went to, which is Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, not to be confused with Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, so Ohio University had a music therapy program. So a lot of people that I interacted with there were into the therapy aspect. And it was an un- it's unusual to have that um, program. I think it's grown. Uh, I think music therapy as a college program has grown. There are more schools that offer it now. But at the time I was in college, it was very unusual. And a lot of people there were in that program. And it it's amazing the power that music has over people. Um, I love the stories of like people who have no short-term memory except when they're playing music and then they can play through the entire piece. Mm-hmm. And then it's like the moment it stops, they're just like back to like this weird existence. I mean, that's mm. not wonderful, but it's just the power of music is, is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Or the story. I'm, I'm sure we've all heard the story from uh, NPR about the guy who, I don't remember what exactly what happened, but he it was like he got hit by lightning or something like that. And and he was in a coma for a little while. And then when he wakes up, he just has the urge to play the piano and he becomes like essentially, you know, a uh, a virtuoso piano player. (laughs) That's so wild. Yeah. Well, you asked me about um, the rest of the track, and I told you about guitar, and I told you about bass. Yeah. Um, there are drums on the track, and an interesting thing about me as a drummer is that <laughs> I only have one drum. <laughs> so so in order for me to record like a fill, it's like bell choir where I'm just playing that one note, and then I'm, I'm pitch shifting everything. Oh, okay. And uh, I'm, I really – I have no kick drum, so the – the the kick drum is like the snare drum with the snare turned off and then down like two octaves. Sure. Um, and played with like a timpani mallet. Um, but that the kick drum sound is really important and I really struggle to get a good one. So I think probably my next instrument is going to be a big kick drum or bass drum, even though my house is tiny and full of instruments and I'm not <laughs> looking forward to it. But getting that kick drum sound, that, that was one thing that I really struggled. I think the, the sort of sound engineering I was doing on the kick drum and the recording would be described as salvaging by most sound engineers. So sure. yeah. I, I would like to get a real kick drum. I love this idea in sound engineering that you only make very subtle changes, like very subtle EQ, very subtle things. That's fine if you have music, musicians and instruments that sound great. <laughs> But when you are trying to cobble together a drum kit out of one drum, uh, more severe measures are required. Uh, you just reminded me, uh, I saw someone at uh, Folkfest, uh, Edmonton Folkfest a year or two ago, um, who uh, I think it's probably one of these like crazy internet things you can find anywhere nowadays. But uh, he had um, he just played guitar and sang and then he had made like a kick drum uh, out of an old suitcase. And so oh, he, nice. 
he had that behind him and he would just kick that as he played his song. Nice. So, yeah, I was just thinking that's space saving for your apartment. <laughs> <laughs> it doubles yeah. as a suitcase when you're on tour as well. Yeah, it, that's amazing. And, and people get away with all kinds of stuff. People get away with just tapping their foot or whatever. I mean, you can make a lot of compromises, but when you have a certain sound in mind, it's really frustrating to chase it and not have the tools to do it. Yeah, for yep. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. You reminded me too. Like, uh, I don't even know what those things are called, but a lot of the, uh, cause it's the Edmonton folk fest. <laughs> so there we get a lot of the Montreal, um, artists that come in and a lot of those guys who, uh, do like heavy folk, um, those guys, uh, heavy as in like really folksy and folk fest has like a whole variety of music, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But those guys who are really into folk, some of them have these like boards or like platforms that they just like, they sit in a chair and then they wear like, you know, some like leather shoes or something and they like tap out a beat with their feet. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> and I'm just like, I can't even, I have four strings on a ukulele <laughs> and I struggle. Like I can imagine like getting other parts of my body involved. Yeah. Yeah. Drum set coordination is so hard and it's not my strength. And I decided that I'm not going to put in the time to try to be even a, a bad drummer. I'm just going to record the drum separately, which is actually really easy from a sound recording perspective because you have perfect isolation of each drum and just go with the different parts. And I, I know I can't sit at a drum set and play it other than something really basic. So I just, I'm picking my battles. <laughs> Right. And that, that makes sense. Like, yeah, that's perfectly logical to just say, Hey, I can't do it all. So, or concentrate on the things that you really want. Right. Right. So. I mean, they're, they're just, they're incredible drummers around and they're so creative and they, uh, they can just do anything. And that's just not my dream, I guess. So if I did do a live show, certainly I would hire, bare minimum a drummer and a guitar player to accompany me mm-hmm. and um I would definitely cover vocals and maybe bass at the same time but even that feels like sometimes that feels like a stress a stretch depending on how sophisticated the music is yeah yeah but then you also get to be like sting so right <laughs> Well, then the other thing is I can at least have my, you know, I I know there are vocalists that like to just hold a trumpet while they sing. So they have like something in their hands, Ah. but that could be like me with the bass where I'm like playing a trumpet and the bass is just around my neck (laughs) and I make the guitar player cover the bass part. Yeah. Yeah. You just go, you just go all out. You've got the, you've got the bass hanging around your neck and then you've got one of those uh, widgets that holds the harmonica in front of you and holding a trumpet. And yeah, most and of knee, the time you're actually singing. And knee pads. Definitely knee pads. So I can just <laughs> go right to the floor and belt yeah, it out. That's right. <laughs> yeah. If I only got this it. wasn't if, if if only this wasn't like my actual fantasy then. <laughs> if only I were joking. <laughs> so yeah, I guess you sort of kind of laid out like um, was that is that kind of like a typical workflow then? How you produce this track? <laughs> well, or no? seen as it's my second track, uh, yeah, I would say you're yes, learning as you typical. go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what happened? The reason that I didn't publish the first track, which I, I wrote a song that I'm really happy with the song, but the reason I didn't share the track is because 
it just didn't sound right. And I don't know how to say other than it, it was like missing something. Mm. And yeah. I, and one of the things that I was uncomfortable about the first track is recording to a click track, which I know a lot of musicians do. And I was, I really agonized over what the tempo should be. And I kind of picked a tempo and I stuck with the click track and the, the recording is just missing something. And I started listening really carefully to professional musicians. And I realized that the, they do not um, play out of super steady tempo. I mean, a lot of commercial recordings do use a click track. Sure. But if you listen to professional musicians like at a jam, like doing a radio gig, they don't have a click track. They just play and they speed up and they slow down. And it's really actually a very musical thing to do. Mm-hmm. So for my second track, um, I still needed something to work off of, work off of because it's just me in a room by myself. Um, so I made my own click track with drumsticks and just kind of like humming the song. And I gave myself permission to not try to do it perfectly and to get excited and speed up when I wanted to and just slow down when I wanted to. And that was the track. That's what I did on the track that you heard. And I was so much more happy with the results. I felt like it grooved and that it it was lively and uh, I felt like the it communicated the song better. So my workflow right now is I dream up stuff all the time. I, I cobble together little uh, MIDI tracks. Um, and then I, um, record over them with real instruments, but first I make that little click track for myself and then I work off of that. And then as enough of the tune comes together, I just delete the click track and just work off of what's there. And, uh, I found that I like to, um, mess with the timing a lot at the very end also. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's really, yeah, that's, that's opening. I mean, that's helpful. I think for people because that makes uh, sense to me. I mean, I haven't done a ton of uh, animation, but uh, I know that there's always like, there's an interesting way like how certain animators go about it. Like some of them record the audio track first and then draw to it. And sometimes, I mean, that's typically how it's done, but a lot of times uh, I was just listening to an interview with uh, Mike Judge and he, before like, he didn't know what he was doing. He just liked drawing. So he had a different way of doing it. I can't remember what it was, but I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, everyone has a process and it's good that you've like kind of nailed this down so that you can keep working and focus on what you want to do. Right. And uh, I, I can write song. Well, the other thing is writing lyrics to a song. Lyrics are not my, <laughs> is, I've never written poetry before. So it was kind of like a whole new world. I started studying poetry and then the lyrics part I thought was going to be tricky because when I hear lyrics, I don't like, uh, I find it like really jarring, but that was that that's actually means that I have a built in tool for bad lyrics. And if I don't like the way that they sit in the music, it, it's jarring to me. So I didn't have mm-hmm. to worry about writing what I thought were bad lyrics because when I do or if they don't sit right in the music, it it, it is immediately apparent to me. So I don't, I don't even have to worry about writing lyrics, but it does take me a long time to put together stuff that I'm happy with or happy enough with. Um, so the lyric writing part is like a big snag in the songwriting process. It's like I'm not going to say that I dread it, but just thinking to the next song, it's kind of like, okay – I know I'm going to have like I'm going to I'm going to figure out the arrangement in, in samples that's going to happen in like an hour and then I'm going to agonize for like 2 weeks over getting the lyrics quite right and then I can move on. <laughs> so you prefer then writing music more than lyrics? 
Oh, absolutely. Lyrics were, <laughs> well, the lyrics were like an afterthought of like, oh, let's see, I'm writing rock songs. I don't want to be singing La 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 for the entire song. So I guess I got to come up with something. And I'm also, uh, I mean, not to like criticize some people, but I feel like the public is overly obsessed with lyrics and they, they, I criticize bad music education as the reason that people mm. relate more to lyrics than they do to the music and lyrics are just poetry. I mean, they become something more than poetry when they are set in the music and, and work with the music in a certain way. But I feel like people obsess over the poetry and I don't. In fact, I, I had to start paying attention to lyrics in order to write them because I otherwise I just hear the music and I hear the lyrics as musical sounds and not as words. Mm. I'm totally with you there. Like uh, so many people are like, oh, you know that song, right? Like. I'm like, no, I don't know any of these <laughs> lyrics. Like, I, I like music more. <laughs> it always freaks people out. And then I get freaked out at myself sometimes when I find myself, like, saying some lyrics. I'm like, oh, I do know some songs, don't I? But for the most part, yeah, I'm always about, like, the music and the beat and not so much about, like, the lyrics. Crazy. Yeah, I guess uh, I guess for me it's... it's um I have a really hard time listening to a song and then getting the lyrics right. Hmm. Like I'm that guy who doesn't know, like (laughs) he knows kind of what they're saying, but he gets a lot of the words wrong or the words rhyme, rhyme strangely because I'm just trying to fill in what it actually means. Um, (laughs) So I have, I have a really hard time hearing music for, for the lyrics because it, it just blends too much for me to really pick it out. Um, but I would say that when I go to actually uh, write uh, a song, the lyrics are the first thing that come to me, and huh. I have to come. I have to fill in or come up with a melody of some kind that that then builds out around that. Oh, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I, when you were talking about um, you, you play with like the tempo and the timing, like. Uh, that um, I don't have any experience with uh, music, but have you ever seen um, what's it? Uh, Eddie and the Cruisers, nineteen eighty three movie. That's what it is. I'm afraid goes, not. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't remember. The film was like on TV a lot. I think that's why I saw it. But to, basically, they used the John Cafferty uh, and the Beaver Brown Band uh, song on the dark side in the film, hmm. and so I. It's, you know, your typical like band story where there's like someone who's like talented, but, um, you know, he needs that extra push or he needs the rest of the band. Right. So yeah, he's don't like, we all. <laughs> yeah. So he's doing the like on the dark side, like as kind of a slow ballad. And like one of the other band members is like, what if we beef it up a little? Hold on. And he like starts playing the piano a lot faster. And I mean, it's one of these like silly Hollywood moments where like this is not exactly at all how this song was made. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, it just it was it's interesting, like when you play with tempo, like what you get. Yeah, it is. It's amazing how the character of the song can change. Um, in in my song that you heard, um, the the first the first half is like regular time, and then the second verse it's like half time. Like all the drums are only like once every other beat, and uh, trying to keep things interesting is like a major 
thing that I think about in songwriting because if you do the same thing over and over again, it gets tiring. If you don't do enough uh, reinforcement of what you're doing, it just kind of sounds like everything is sporadic coming from left field. So trying to find that balance, I always try to think of it as like creative problem solving, like what does the song need um, to not get boring, but also to be as interesting as it can be without being disorienting. Sure. Makes sense. So you're going to then dive into dubstep next? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I love listening to electronic music. I I don't find myself creating it, although I do have a... I have a tune in the pipeline that's leaning more into the electronic spectrum, but I wish I could just be an electric on, electronic musician because then I could just have my computer and not literally have a house full of stuff, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true because I think you you end up um, you end up getting more obsessed with like uh, getting the right sound in the electronic world too, and. It sounds uh, easy to think you can just download something, but I recently watched that uh, documentary on Netflix, um, I Dream of Wires, and it's like some of these like uh, electronic musicians are just like looking for like this perfect like 808 machine from 1987 or something like that, you know? <laughs> and so they have like these houses like filled with like ridiculously old electronic instruments because like that's what they want and it's crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you could definitely – that is one thing with acoustic instruments and I, I think about this a lot um, for my first track and second track especially, or at least the one you heard, which I guess is the second one. Um, it was really important to me to that the, the level be just barely good enough to share because as it was, it took me a very long time to put it together. And one thing about acoustic instruments is you can just um, pick – you know, you're going to pick the sound and it's going to be an acoustic sound and you're just going to live with it. And I'm, you know, I did fix a couple things that I felt really needed to be fixed. But for the most part, I tried to just go with the sound in the room as much as I could. And I think that is, it's important to have limitations in creativity. And that's one, one limitation that you can have. For sure. And then, uh, like you said, it's, you're chasing a sound that you sometimes can't get, which can be really annoying, but Right. And I feel this, I've noticed that too, um, as a photographer, which the, my excuse to get a DSLR was that I was going to make music videos and I want to do music and music's important so I can buy this camera. But I ended up taking all this, these still pictures with it. And, uh, I, um, I totally lost my train of thought. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm baking a cake. Uh, <laughs> and now I'm playing on my keyboard that is right in front of me. <laughs> Oh, okay. We're going to jam. I uh, find my ukulele. Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. uh, all my, the problem is that all my, well, for an acoustic record, my, my keyboard, like my actual piano keyboard, keyboard is just a MIDI controller. So I, I, everything is in software for me. And uh, I, I wouldn't even dare fire up my, uh, my recording program because I feel like sound cards and drivers and stuff are so weird. <laughs> are going to freak out about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like if I open my my recording program and then I try to play a sound in something else, like it turns that off. It like it like locks the sound card or something. I don't know how it works. Oh yeah, sure. Yep. I get that. I totally understand where you're coming from. I think uh you're on Linux too, right? Um no, I mean I'm I'm using Windows for oh. um the the sound stuff. Reason works in Windows and Mac OS. 
And um, the other thing I use, and I was talking about photography, is Lightroom on Windows. So mm. yeah. I've got I've got some major programs keeping me in the uh, proprietary world. But I I like Linux. I use it on my laptop. I would love to transition to it when I feel like the art can wait for me to deal with technical problems. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. You almost need like a custom build of Linux to make sure that everything works right. together well. Yeah, yeah, you have to use Ubuntu Studio and all that kind of stuff. So, sure. Right. Yeah, that's the one I was trying to think of. Yeah, so, um, yeah, what were we talking about? <laughs> well, if you want to hear about the, I can tell you about the rest of my, my drum kit. <laughs> um, so I have a snare drum, which is called a super drum, and the uh, the drum has like 12 um, nuts on it, so it spreads the tension around around on it it's like easier to get a good sound on it um and then my cymbals i went to a guy in buffalo who sells drum stuff um and i at paul at buffalo drum outlet who's been there for many years and i said i need cymbals i'm making recordings and he's like oh i got the perfect thing for you handy this this hi-hat and the suspended cymbal and i knew i liked the hi-hat right away but the suspended cymbal i was i was not quite sure i liked it and i don't know if you've ever seen the the making of lord of the rings uh, stuff. I know you guys are into film, so I don't know if that's a film <laughs> you like. But, it's a um, film we've complained about the length of many times. Uh, <laughs> um, well, if you watch the making of things, there are um, scenes where they talk about auditioning the insects because there's a scene with insects. Okay, and so yep. they had insect auditions where they would just watch like insect after insect go across the the screen, which is how I felt with like a wall of suspended symbols and I'm just like playing every single one and trying to decide which <laughs> sound I liked exactly because right, I, I right. didn't want a house full of instruments and I was just going to pick one and live with it. Yeah. And, uh, which one can I get the most mileage out of is some level of that too. Like. Well, and I also wanted it to be my own sound that I was chasing and I want it to be a darker sound and I have excellent taste because I picked out this $300 <laughs> suspended symbol, <laughs> which is one of my most expensive instruments that I own, but it, it does sound wonderful, I think. So nice. It was, it was worth it. But, um, so the drum kit is just a snare drum, a hi-hat and a suspended cymbal and then pitch shifted snare drum into, and different mallets and stuff. Um, and we talked about bass and guitar and um, vocals. Um, I auditioned vocal microphones online. I wanted to find one that worked well for me. And I ended up with the one I'm using now, which is a Studio Project C4. Hmm. And I had found a lot. I, I was listening to microphone demos online, and they all kind of sounded the same to me. Not really, but they all had this sure. sort of warm, dark sound. And then I heard one. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's the sound. And it was this... Uh, it was like this laboratory microphone, <laughs> which was, I was like 2000, it was like the earthworks. Um, they have like a whole line of them They're, um They can be used in like scientific applications. And I was so, uh, I was like, Oh, I want this, but I don't want to spend $2,000 on it. And it was also really expensive. So if I wanted to use it with my trumpet or something, the sound pressure level could be too high and I could just destroy it, mm. which is like a, a harrowing thought. Um, and then the most similar sound to that one that I found was the Studio Project C4, which is a, a small diaphragm, multi-capsule, condenser microphone. And I'm using that on vocals and that exclusively on vocals. I don't use it for any other instrument in the recording. Mm -hmm. And it's probably the flattest microphone so far as EQ that I own. And I felt like that – I'm really happy with the how the balance of the different instruments worked out in the recording 
they all use different microphones and I felt like the different microphones sort of automatically give the different instruments different character and that using this one microphone for vocals let them just automatically stand out because there's no particular emphasized frequency or anything on the vocal uh, chain. So Yeah, yeah. And also we were talking about lyrics and as I was recording my song, I would forget... <laughs> My own lyrics that I had written, <laughs> which was very frustrating, but it, I did it enough times eventually that I, I, I eventually memorized my own song. But for many takes, like I would get to that second verse, I'd be like, "Oh, how does this start again?" <laughs> um, so that's pretty much the track. It's 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 mainly a guitar-driven track, and I really like electric guitar sounds, um, and vocals, bass, drums. Um, and then I wanted to add horns into it and I was going to add, I wanted to add trumpet, saxophone and trombone, but it was the last thing I was doing on the track. Um, I tried a trombone part and it just got lost in the other, in the guitar part. Mm -hmm. And I was so close to being done with it and I really just wanted to finish it. So I decided I was just going to record some trumpet parts (laughs) and not deal with the saxophone or the trombone, which are not my primary instruments. Sure. Yeah. And just get it done. I think that's that's the complete instrumentation. So, um, dr- v- drums, vocals, bass, guitar, and trumpet. And nice. so, like you said, you just basically you recorded the instrument and then pulled out the sort of uh, MIDI placeholder track that you had in there. Is that how you? Kind well, of I had the I, I had the um, what I had is like a vocal part that was just like a, a piano sample, and then I had like a a pianoy part that was a piano sample, but implying what I wanted with the guitar and whatnot. And then with that as my inspiration, then I, then after that I go through and record my, my click track. And uh, when I've been working on the song that long, it's it's kind of all in my head at that point. And I can go through and um, I cobble together. I think of the guitar part first, because I knew it was going to be really hard. Um, And then I think I did drums because I, I can do those pretty easily because I'm just doing one at a time and I can, I wasn't trying to make a perfect drum part. Of, you can hear they're, they're kind of sloppy in spots, but I just needed to get done with anything. <laughs> so I've been working <laughs> yeah. on this track for like months and months and months and I needed to just get something out there. So, <laughs> Yep. At some point you definitely have to say ship it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've, I definitely believe in, I, I read the study of like potters and like the people who are told to like practice until they can make the perfect pot um, had way worse pots than the people that were just told make as many as you, as fast as you can. Yeah, and yep. the ones that did that were way better. So I w- I wish I could do that with songwriting, but again, it's just this thing of I'm not working with a live band. If I wanted to just bring my friends in um, and and just lay it down, I could do that. But after I did that enough times, I would start to feel like okay, I got to either pay these guys or you know return the favor somehow or something. Is I'd feel like I'm taking advantage of their their time and their creativity. And the other thing is I wanted to discover my voice as a, not my voice voice, but my musical voice as a rock song composer. And I know that um, control freaks are a big thing in bands. Like one person always wants to control it. And I wouldn't want to be that guy. If I'm bringing creative friends in on a track, I want them to shape it with their musicianship. And I knew that if I did bring people in to record that that would inevitably happen. Mm-hmm. So I wanted a chance for it to just be all of stuff coming out of my head so I could try to figure out if spending more time on this was going to be a good idea or if I'm wasting my time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and as you, a lot of it is because you're, um, 
you know, you're challenging yourself to produce a, a very finished sounding song. And so um, you're both learning instruments, uh, learning right. your tools better and better as you <laughs> yes, go. This is a bad, this is a trying to do, trying to learn everything at the same time is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have this thing in education that you can only learn one new thing at a time. And that's definitely true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But as you, I think, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of professional uh, musicians now on the internet that do this kind of thing. If you look at like Jonathan Colton or Jonathan Oh yeah. Mann. He's a huge inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. So Jonathan was... Colton is amazing. And the, the fact that he, I mean, I know that he like went to Yale and everything. So it's not like he's this struggling kid or whatever, but <laughs> the fact that he did transition from a programming career to a music career is so inspiring. And, um, and the other thing is, you know, I listened to his early recordings and I think, you know, the engineering and stuff here, it isn't amazing. Um, right. And it still was good enough for his fans to communicate the the tune to them in a way that they really like. So that all that was really inspiring and empowering to have someone make the leap from the programming world to the music world. And and, and I'm not saying that he doesn't I mean, deserve he's He's an incredible talent. Jonathan Colton, uh, his lyrics are absolutely incredible. And uh, I can't say enough about having people like that exist uh, is like one of the reasons that I can even take the gamble of spending my time on music. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I once, I think it was uh, one of the uh, XOXO conferences or something where I saw... um, Jack Conti talking about, you know, doing the stuff with Pomplamoose online and, and, and his music. And it's like, you know, he just went on Craigslist and said, Oh, I need like a bass. And so he bought like a cheap bass, you know, and it's just, it's kind of, I think it goes kind of to your point of, of the potters. It's just like, just keep doing it and it gets better. Right. right? And it doesn't really matter that you have like a cheap Korean guitar. (laughs) Right. No, I mean, it, that, you know, it definitely doesn't matter. A lot of it is just, um, like my ego and pride of ownership and all this stuff, which, you know, if I'm going to have a house, I like the thing in my house is 600 square feet. It's pretty small. So if I have an instrument in my house, I'm literally going to be living with it. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like, like it's in my kitchen. It's right there when I'm eating. Like there's my <laughs> guitar right there. There are microphone stands all over. Everything is just everywhere. And so if I bring stuff into my home now, I, I do kind of want it to be, I want it to be something that will be worth willing to somebody that if you got this thing you'd be like oh wow like what an amazing thing to have even if it's just an instrument i see so so no glass harmonica or anything fabulous yet but it could be a decorative (laughs) element (laughs) um well you know i definitely need more like percussion toys that just all those things can really make the track sparkle um and i have very few i have a tambourine that i love which has um brass cymbals on it Nice. That I, I did not use in my first track, but I, I play with it almost all the time. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a stylophone like I sent to uh, to Paul once. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> There's some percussion for you. Yeah. <laughs> but I, uh, I don't get hung up on instruments. I mean, mostly they're just like I don't I'm not very emotional about them. Like they're just tools to get a thing done. And if it works, it works. Cool Beans in the chat room says uh, 
that they say the new guitars, even the cheap fenders, are better than some of the older treasured instruments as for build quality and type of woods. There's like something this. that – one thing that really kind of freaks me out is, I mean, as, as you know, I'm a trumpet player and I'm super sensitive to like different trumpets and the build qualities and the sounds. Mm-hmm. And I know that the other, ins- other instruments have just as deep a – like the quality is just as important to them, but I just I don't know the instrument as well, so I can't tell. Um, so that that part of it is kind of scary. Like that's that kind of drove me to just get like a Fender bass and like an instrument because I I couldn't really tell by playing it if it was a great instrument or not. The way I could pick up a trumpet and say, oh, this is a great one. Oh, this one's not that great. Um, sure. So it, it kind of drives it drove me to kind of stick with uh, stuff that was known like brand name stuff no that makes sense yeah like if you're unfamiliar yeah i get it i i learned uh what's the most uh, difficult horn is that the french horn probably because you're playing so high and the instruments range that the partials are really close so the horn's not going to give you it's going to give you feedback positive feedback on pretty much whatever you do so if you do kind of hit the wrong note it's just going to be like yes this is the right note yeah i i went to uh nerd night um which they're all over every big city has like a nerd night contingency where it's just people get together at a bar and drink and someone presents something sort of like a TED talk. It's just TED talks with beer. Um, (laughs) And I went to one in Edmonton and uh, someone from the symphony who played the French horn was talking all about it. And I had no idea, like there was so much that went into like an instrument like that. (laughs) So uh, I can I can understand that you probably have like an expertise on the trumpet that uh, yeah uh, yeah I mean there there are people there were people in college that were playing like cheaper instruments and it was just like oh how can you do this I mean you're spending like hours every day with this thing like you gotta get a really good instrument that such such is what I discovered with uh, with my. Uh you know the cheap the cheap guitar that i got started with which it's like when you're learning that's great yeah. it's kind of like you know it's it's like when you're learning to play golf or something like that you don't need right. uh tiger woods golf clubs cuz it's really not going to matter uh but once you know how to swing and with a guitar once you kind of know where your chords are how to hit the frets and stuff like that then you go down to even if you just go down to guitar center you can pick up five different guitars and know the difference between them all of a sudden and right. also suddenly discover like oh this is what i'm missing if i get a guitar with a little higher quality right um it becomes a it becomes a really big difference and and i do kind of also feel like if you if you can't tell the difference like if you start with something that's a lower grade instrument and then you go to something that you know should be a higher grade instrument but you really can't tell the difference then that's pro- there's probably a skill level that you haven't quite mastered yet to make yeah. that to make that difference to make that distinction right and you might as well save your money and, and enjoy being cheap about anything that you possibly can <laughs> right <laughs> cuz i apparently have excellent taste in just about everything so if i if there's something that i can get away with being cheap on i'm going to do it like wine i don't know what a good wine is so i can just Buy cheap wine and be like, oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like, how, yeah, you know, you're like, oh, I'm cursed with excellent taste for everything. You're going to get lots of tweets now. People are <laughs> tweeting you for advice. I'm looking for a new car. 
Well, my my grandfather on my dad's side was a mechanic, and then my dad was a mechanic. So I feel like I do have some some taste in cars. At least in the age that my dad was a mechanic, um, the engines that were in Japanese cars were way superior to pretty much anything else out there. Mm-hmm. So I still have this taste for uh, Japanese cars, and like I drive this Honda that. Um, you know, I think that I think reliable reliability has caught up with cars that are very reliable now in general. But um, there was a time when like those Japanese engines were just made to totally different tolerances than anything else, and they would just last for. I mean, my dad used to yeah. buy cars. He used to buy Japanese cars at like you know one hundred sixty thousand miles. He'd buy it and he'd drive it to like over three hundred thousand miles. Yeah, and they would just go forever. He would just give up on them. He wouldn't change the oil. He wouldn't do anything, and they would just keep running forever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's so ridiculous. Yeah, my my <laughs> uncle had like uh actually my aunt and uncle uh bought like a Toyota station wagon. I remember like, you know, cuz I was young and people didn't care about children back then riding in the back of the station wagon, right? Just like <laughs> That hey, was the best. Fun. Yeah. And uh and then they sold that to my other uncle who worked like 40 minutes out of town and so he just drove it back and forth, drove it back and forth. Like that's all he ever did. And that stupid yellow Toyota, like, <laughs> it ended up, like, at his cabin many, many, many years later. And he would just, like, drive it to, like, through the woods to his hunting spot or something. And, like, the nothing worked anymore. <laughs> just the engine and, like, the body was mostly brown with rust. Like, right. And that thing had, like, probably 450,000 miles on it. And it was yeah. just, like, and the headlights, like, nothing could be powered anymore. Like, all the wiring had gone. <laughs> but the engine would just start right up and go. That's what I've also learned is that um, having a lifetime of really old cars, Any anytime I'm buying a car, I think, oh, that's powered, that's going to break. That's powered, that's going to break. <laughs> hey, look, that's a manual. That thing is going to work forever. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like at first, like like one of my very first big car purchases was like, didn't have like power anything, but I was super excited that I bought like a car that only had like twenty three thousand miles on it. It still had yeah. a warranty for like right. five more. Or something. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And then my friends uh, bought their fancy cars like a year or two later that had like the keyless entry and all that. And I was like, oh, you guys suck. But then, <laughs> but then it's like, yeah, all of that stuff goes bad or, oh, that window doesn't work anymore because it's power. And like, <laughs> I just crank mine down. Like, so, yeah, I totally get that. And so it always makes me crazy when I look at, like, the newer cars with all these, like, fancy bells and whistles. I'm like, that's just more to go wrong. <laughs> there, there was one flaw in one of my Hondas that had a sunroof. And the trees in my parents' front yard where I was living at the time had these little buds that would clog the sunroof drain. Uh, so the yeah. sunroof would fill with water. And then just as you backed out of the driveway – the water would spill right down the back of your neck. So that was a refreshing way to start the day is, oh, good morning. Hey, that was the end of part one of our interview with Jonathan. Uh, head to MontrealSauce.com for some uh, lovely show notes that'll help you find uh, more of Jonathan's stuff, as well as links for myself and Chris. And uh, hey, it seems like we're back on a uh, semi-weekly uh, release schedule, but you can always listen live on uh, Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern uh, and calculate that uh, to your own personal time zone of choice 
and or uh, what is governmentally regulated uh, around you. So uh, hopefully we'll catch you on the live show. Otherwise, uh, just stay subscribed. And uh, if you're looking for a place to subscribe, you could always go into iTunes and search for Montreal Sauce. Uh, and you can also find a link to that at MontrealSauce.com, which would be great. So visit us and uh, we'll see you later.